0: Today is a very, very special Sunday as we have an opportunity to welcome our other campus into our campus. Usually, what we normally have been doing is, is uh, Hokessen has been broadcasting to us. But today, because it's a special Sunday, our campus is broadcasting all the way to Hokessen. So we're excited about that. And what I want to do, every time I go there, everyone uh, wants me to tell them, wants me to come back and tell you hello. So what I thought would be a good idea for us to do is for us to say hello to them right? Okay. So what we're going to do is we're just going to say hello. I thought about saying it in like a, a Southern way of saying howdy, but we won't do that today. We can just say hello and they'll hear us and they'll know that we're together hearing the, the preaching and teaching of the Lord together. So are you guys ready? All right. On the count of three, we're going to say hello. Ready? One, two, three. Hello. hello. All right, there's myriads of people here. There's thousands and thousands of people here, and you just heard them. So uh, we're glad that you're with us. And for the next couple of weeks, Hocusin, uh, the Hokessen campus is going to have an opportunity just to look in on what God is doing here and to be a part of, of that, as together we will, over the next two weeks, walk through Romans chapter 2. So that's the task before us. And so if you've got a Bible, I would love for you to take that out. And turn with me to Romans chapter 2. Romans chapter 2. If you've got one of the Bibles that we provided, it's on page 781. This is part of a series that's been walking through uh, Pleading the Fifth. And now we've come through and we've we've finished chapter 1 and now we're beginning chapter 2. And uh, we're going to continue taking a look at Paul as he is explaining the gospel. And how before the throne of God, before God who is the righteous judge... We have no excuse, we have no defense, and so we stand before him judged, and uh, we're going to look at some hard things again today. We're not getting to the good news yet, but that is to come. So would you look with me at Romans chapter 2, and we're going to look at the first 16 verses. You, therefore, have no excuse, you who patch judgment on someone else. For at whatever point you judge the other, you are condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere man, pass judgment on them and yet do the same things, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, tolerance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness leads, us, leads you towards repentance? Repentance. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law, and all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will will be declared righteous. Indeed, when Gentiles who do not have the law do by nature things required by the law, they are a law for themselves, even though they do not have the law. Since they show the requirements of the law are written on their hearts, their consciences are also bearing witness, and their thoughts now accusing, now even defending them. This will take place on the day when the Lord will judge men's secrets through Jesus Christ as my gospel declares. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word today. And Father, we thank you that you do not allow sin to go unpunished. And Father, we are aware that we are sinful people. Father, we are aware that we miss your mark. We miss your design of perfection. And that we are in need of a savior. So Father, today through your word, I pray that you would humble us. I pray that you would bring us to the point of realizing that we need Jesus Christ. For Father, it is through Jesus Christ that our sins can be forgiven and we can be restored to you. So Father, I pray today that you allow the weight of your word to rest on our hearts in a way that makes us uncomfortable with our sin. But Father, I also pray that you'd lead us today to a place of understanding more of your grace, understanding more of your mercy, and that you'd lead us to a place of repentance. So Father, over these next few moments, allow your word to speak, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This morning as we come to the second chapter of Romans, I... I want us to be aware that there are times in life when the realities or current events of our world come smack dab to the truth of the word. Where those two things almost seem to come and collide or they come in connection together. Sometimes it's, it's as though we come to the word of God and it speaks directly to the issues that we face. And I believe that it's not always necessary for the church or for the pastor to respond to the events of the world we don't necessarily always need to allow that to shape the preaching of the gospel, but there are times when, when God allows the events of the world to, to happen and it almost would be pointless for us as, as pastors and preachers to not address them. For example, I think back to when September 11th happened. I think of that time where, where preachers may have been preaching through a specific series, but that following Sunday, it was right of them to let go of their sermon series and preach about the truth and hope that is found in Jesus Christ. That was one of those Sundays where whatever preachers were preaching, that needed to be let go of just for a moment to speak to the truth and the hope for a world that was looking for answers. It's also amazing sometimes when when the world seems to fit right into what is already planned. For today we take a look at a passage of Romans chapter 2 that I believe speaks into what we see in the reality of our world that we're walking through right now. But it's amazing for me to to think back as a few months ago as Pastor John, Pastor Terry and I were sitting together and we were talking about where we were going in the word this summer and we were talking about what passages and and in what direction we were headed and we kind of settled on Romans. We wanted to look at the first four chapter of Romans and I didn't realize, we didn't realize at that time that we'd be at Romans chapter two on this Sunday and seeing what's going on in our world connecting with what God is speaking about today. So I think today's word speaks directly into our lives and to the application of what we see taking place in the world around us. And I wanted to just for a moment just explain and bring those together so that you see the reality of the word of God and how it fleshes itself out in our everyday lives. So last week we left off Romans chapter 1. If you're looking with me, look at verse 32. Romans chapter 1 verse 32, we left off on this talking about the unrighteous, talking about those that that deserve the wrath of God, those that live for themselves, those that have have let go of, of God's design for themselves. This is how it ends. Although they know God's righteous decrees, that those who do such things deserve death, they not only continue to do these very things, but they also approve of those who practice them. So as we saw the unrighteous abandoning the design of God, we see that they continue to distort the design that God has made, but they also continue to condone and approve of the behavior that distorts God's design. So we see that's what the world does. Those that are unrighteous continue to not only approve of what is evil and what is wrong, they condone it. And I remember sitting this week as I was preparing for this sermon, as I was flipping up Yahoo just for a moment on Wednesday, I read on yahoo.com about the decision that the Supreme Court had upheld or the fact that they had struck down the federal law of the definition of marriage. For the law of the definition of marriage as union between a man and a woman was stricken down as a federal law this week. And by doing so, they're trying to push the question back to the states. That's thus our Supreme Court making a judgment that further condones homosexuality. Which is what we learned last week as one of those practices that distort the design that God has given. But then we need to come also to looking at Romans chapter 2 verse 1. For we see here that you therefore have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else, for whatever point you judge the other person, you are now condemning yourself because you pass judgment. You who pass judgment do the same things. This week we're going to be warned that those that are righteous are not supposed to place judgment on those that are doing evil. For as those of us who pass judgment on those who do do evil, judgment will be upon us. I don't know if you've heard, and this is how the crosshairs of of life are coming together this morning over this passage. I don't know if you've heard of the simple fact that there is this church from Kansas called Westboro Baptist Church that is descending upon our city on July 1st to um, present a protest and condemn our state legislation for allowing same-sex marriage. This is a Baptist church from another state that is coming to Delaware to speak the words of hate and condemnation against our own state. And they're even coming to, to give condemnation to, to Christians of our state for keeping our hands in our pockets and for stand, not standing against the definition of marriage in our own state. And so we see these two things coming together. And the question for us this morning is, how do we as believers in Jesus Christ, how do we respond to this? How do we stand up and say, we do not support homosexual marriage? We, we don't support that because the Bible that we believe doesn't condone that. But at the same time, we cannot stand with Westboro Baptist Church and condone their condemnation. For that is not of the Lord either. That is not what the Lord teaches us as well. So it's almost as though as we as a church, we as believers have to stand up and and oppose both of those and say neither one of those are true. But how do we respond? I think it's important for us to remember that homosexuality is not more egregious of a sin that somehow bears more condemnation than any other sin but it is the specific sin that is being debated in our public squares. It could very well be the sin of obesity that has come forward that we could be discussing right now. It could be the sin of abuse, or it could be the sin of genocide. But it is this sin that is the sin that, that is the debate of our day. And it should rest on us as believers, those that believe in Jesus Christ. It should continually remind us over and over and over again that we are in need of a savior, that it is impossible within ourselves to save ourselves, that in reality we need to be saved from ourselves. And as believers, I pray that we walk through this passage today and we see and it teaches us how to avoid the road that leads to judgment. For it's easy for us to sit back, those of us that have the grace of God that is pouring over our lives. Those of us that because we have placed faith in Jesus Christ now can stand before God, not condemned any longer. It's easy for us to sit back and pass judgment on those people. When in reality, this passage will speak to us to remind us that we are those people. So there are two main points I want us to see from this passage today. There are quick points I want us to see. The first thing I want us to be aware of Today is the fact that we are not the righteous judge. We are not the righteous judge. We can see this in the first four verses of, of chapter four. We have no right to judge other people. It's very clear here. Got, uh, the Word of God teaches us that we have no right to judge, and He gives us specific reasons why we don't have the right to judge. The first reason He gives us that says that we are not the right, we have no right to judge because we are guilty ourselves that we are guilty ourselves that no one of us here today are perfect no no one of us can can look at our deeds from our past or even maybe this morning as you were coming to church your house was a little bit like mine where the the bear of sin came about as you're trying to get kids ready and deal with unruly hair and brushing of teeth and getting people fed that's not usually a very holy moment at our home And so maybe you were like that and you allowed the sin in your life to just bear itself out as you did evil. You're like, no, it wasn't evil. Yeah, it was evil. We need to realize that we ourselves are guilty. If you look back at at Romans chapter one, verses 28 through 32, which we looked at last week, We as people have a tendency to look at that list and we say and we think about those people that are wicked, those people that are evil, those people that are full of greed, those people that are full of depravity, those people that are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, those that are gossipers, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, boastful, those that invent ways of doing evil, those that disobey their parents, those that are senseless, those that are faceless, faithless, those that are heartless, those that are ruthless. We hear that list, and as we we think about God's righteous judgment against those people, sometimes in our heart we have a tendency to want to say amen, 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 amen. But how many of us look at that list and realize that those things have been a part of our lives in the past? How many of us have ever slandered someone? How many of us have ever been a gossip? How many of us have, with our lives and with our thoughts and with our actions, actually shown that we hated God? See, we're guilty ourselves. These characteristics have been a part of our lives at one time or another, so we ourselves are guilty But why else aren't we, uh, we have no right to judge? One, we're guilty. The second thing is because when we judge, we use judging only for self-validation. All we're trying to do in judging others is, is validate ourselves. We look at the lives of other people, comparing it to ourselves, and this is what we like to do. Well, at least I'm not as bad as that person. We can always find someone that's worse than us. And so in some ways, we validate our own lives through the, the sin of other people. It's easy. You can look anywhere and you can say, well, at least you're not as bad as. And by doing so, what you're trying to do is make yourself more holy or you're setting yourself apart from them so in some ways that you can earn more favor with the Lord. And we can't do that because that's not how it works. There's no reason for us to validate ourselves because we are without excuse ourselves. The third reason that I believe we see here that we are not um, righteous judge or we don't have the right to judge is because we are unable to judge without showing favoritism. We are unable. As humans, we have the inability to, to judge without giving in favoritism. For a judge must be impartial and we have, we're not able to do that. Let me give you a quick illustration of that. Think about, for example, a child that runs through a house and starts knocking over everything and breaking them on the floor. Okay, A child is just crazy. They want to just go about doing that. So they go through and they knock lamps off the floor. They take some, some pictures off the wall and they throw them to the ground and they break them into million pieces. Think about that. Is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? It's a bad thing, right? Think about how we have two judges. Now, if that were your home and they were your children and they were running through your house, taking care of your stuff in that way, how would you respond as a parent? You would respond by leveling judgment against your child, right? You would say that was bad, and you would level some sort of judgment against them. Now think about at the same time, if it's your house, your child, but your parents are there watching your children. How are your parents or the children's grandparents going to judge differently? Is there going to be a difference there? Are your parents, are your grandparents going to level less judgment against the children that are running through your house, ripping up your stuff? Yeah. I be like, ah, it's okay. Ah, they're just being kids. Just let them be. It'll grow back. Not really, because it's stuff. So we're unable to judge without showing favoritism. And I think that's what, what Paul is getting to here. And he's trying to help us understand that we are not good judges, We don't have that ability. We're not proper in doing that. But I also want us to see here today, I want us to to look at judgment versus evaluation. For it's easy for us to look at this passage, and it's easy for people to come to this passage and say, believers, you have no right to speak anything over my life. You can't judge me. You can't say anything. Even though I'm walking down this road of sin, you cannot say anything over my life. And I think there's a challenge. Have you ever heard that before? Don't judge me. You can't judge me. Well, I think there's a, a, a discrepancy here that we need to further understand. For if we look at this judgment versus evaluation, we can look to places of Scripture and we can go to Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. And Jesus very clearly there, as he's teaching, says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way that you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So Jesus very specifically says, Do not judge. But then later on in that same chapter, verses 15 and 16, he goes on and says this, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit, you will recognize them. So in some ways, it's as though Jesus is saying, don't judge, but but be able to evaluate. Don't be a judger, but evaluate those that are of me and those that are not of me. And those that are of me accept, those that are not of me reject. And so in some ways, he's giving us the rules and the rights and the responsibility of evaluation. So without judging, but evaluate. I want to give you some things to think about as we look at judgment versus evaluation. Judgment places a person under a sentence of condemnation. That's what judgment does. Judgment places a person under a sentence of condemnation. It says, not only are you sinful, but you are condemnable. They condemn that person for the things that they've done. Evaluation makes a statement of behavior based on truth. This is false. This is not. This is sinful, this is not. Those are evaluations, it's not condemnation. We know what follows, those that are sinful will receive condemnation. That's not our part. Our part is to say, that's a sin, that is not a sin. That is right, that is wrong. Judgment always seek to distinguish us from one another. That's what they do. Judgment seek to distinguish us from one another. So they create a wedge between those that are and those that aren't. Those that are good and those that are bad. That's what judgment seeks to do. But evaluation, what evaluation does, it allows people to look at other behaviors, to see into other behaviors in others' lives, and it leads those people that are evaluating to love and compassion. That's why we're able as believers to look in and to see other people's lives. And we're able to see people living in sin and it should not lead us, to, lead us to a place of condemning them, but it should lead us to a place of love and compassion. Compassion. So in summary of point number one, we are not to judge. The best we can do is evaluate. So we are not the righteous judge. But the second thing I want us to see in this passage is the righteous judge will judge everyone. We can see this throughout the whole chapter of, of second chapter of Romans. Romans says here very plainly and clearly, clearly and plainly that God will judge both the Jew and the Gentile. And basically, what he's saying is that everyone will be judged. That he will judge the righteous and the un- unrighteous. Every person that has life and breath will stand in the courtroom of faith, where they will have to give an account of what they have done and who they are. And what we're going to see in this passage in this part here is that judgment is not based on a External religious righteousness. There's, it's not going to be judged upon how much you conformed to some religious rules or how, how much you were able to change your behavior that was for yourself into a behavior that was directed towards other people. What you're going to be judged upon is your spiritual inner righteousness. And we see in this passage that, that clearly Paul gives us three criteria in which God will use to judge us. We see here very first that the first thing that will be judged on in verse two is that we will be judged on truth. Truth is a standard to which all judgment will be placed. We know that God is the creator and the definer and the one that is able to say what is true and what is not. He is the one that is able to set the laws, and He is able to be able to be the one that sets up what the violations are and what the consequences are. And what we see here is the righteous will be judged and the unrighteous will be judged based on truth. We also know and are aware that because man violates the truth of God, man will receive the wrath of God. Man receives the wrath of God because he has violated the law that God and the truth that God has given us. And we learned last week that in some ways this this wrath of God is being poured out now, but it also will be poured out in the future. Though man that that violates God right now is not fully experienced the wrath of God. So it's in some ways, though right now, each one of us deserves death. Each one of us deserves to go to hell. Each one of us deserves the full weight of God's wrath resting on us. It's as though God in some ways is retaining that or holding that back from us. For though we deserve it, He is allowing us not to experience the full wrath now. And through that, God is showing us His kindness. Through Him holding that back, He's showing us His mercy. And he's doing that in such a way so that it will lead us to repentance. It will lead us to repentance for it's as though we as believers or we as people need to realize that that there's coming a day that we who sin will feel the penalty of our sin and the responsibility of our sin. And because God is not allowing us to experience that, we realize that we're sinners in need of a savior. And that God is gracious towards us. It leads us to turn our hearts back to him and repent and say, thank you, Lord, for not giving me what I deserve. Thank you for not giving me what I deserve because I am evil in my heart. I'm evil in my thoughts. I'm evil in my actions. And God, help me to turn before it's too late. So we'll be judged based on truth. The second thing that that we're going to be judged on is work. For we know that God will give according to each, what each person has done. Verse 6. There will be judgment of each person's work. Now, what Paul is saying here is that what he's basically saying is he wants us to be reminded that it's not through good works that our sin is erased. It's not you do a good thing, the bad thing that you did is erased. So there's some scale, cosmic scale up there, where if you do more good than you did bad, then in some ways you're righteous. That's not what Paul is saying. What Paul is saying is, is the works of man are evidence of their faith, or the products of man is evidence of where they're placing their faith. And those products will be judged. It's the products that, that we make or from where our faith comes that will be judged. For we know that the place where we, we the object of our faith, will impact our actions. If we place our faith in Christ, what that will produce is obedience to his word. If we place our faith in ourselves, then the product of that will show evidence in our work. And our work will be seen in verses 28 through 32. Faith in ourselves always produces disobedience. And there will come a time that our lives, the whole work, the body of work of our lives will be measured and weighed. And we will have to give evidence. That will give evidence to where we have placed our faith. And we see here that that Paul goes on to continue to take a look at two kinds of people. He says that there are those people that that seek glory, honor, and immortality. There are those that honestly will seek to, to know the Lord and to be with the Lord. He says those people; those those people will receive life. Those people will receive eternal life. But then he goes on and puts them up against those that seek themselves and that reject the truth and pursue evil. He says those people will receive death. So the place of our faith impacts our actions, which also will impact our reward. So work will be measured. Lastly, we see here that light will be measured. Judgment will be given based on the amount of which God's love and his rules and his law have been revealed. Those that have the revelation of his truth will be held more accountable than those that, are, that don't. We know here from God's word that all are guilty and all are Condemned. But God has shown his special grace and his special blessings towards the Jews. That's what he's beginning to talk about. He's, he's beginning now to, to focus in on the Jewish believers and those Jewish people that lived in Rome. And he's beginning to, to explain to them how they fit into this bigger plan of God's redemption and basically he's going to tell them over the rest of this chapter that they are going to be held more accountable because God has shown special love to them. He has cared for them in a special way, called them unto himself, given in him, given them himself, and they have rejected him. But the message we hear today is for those of us that have the revelation of Christ we also will be held more accountable because we know the truth. Therefore, we must do the truth. I mean, if you think about it today, how many of us have multiple copies of the Bible in our home? We have multiple copies. Do you realize the more copies of the word of God that you have, the more condemnable you are? Have you (laughs) ever thought about that? Let that be a sales pitch for Bibles. You are more condemnable. Or, or, anyways, so we see that we have the word. We have access to the word. We have access on our phones to the word. We have, access, we have unlimited access to the word of God. So there's no excuse for us to not know God. There's no excuse because we have it readily available. And because we choose not to know him and we choose not to follow his word, We are going to be more condemned than those right now that don't have his word. Though they'll all, everyone will be judged. Everyone that doesn't know Christ or doesn't have faith in Christ will be separated. But in some ways, we'll also be more accountable. But then we come to the end of this passage. And I want us to be aware that we're all in need of a savior. We're all in need of someone else to step in and to help us with our wretched lives. Because we are wretched people. And it's not until the second or the the ending part of chapter 2 verse 16 that we begin to see the gospel rear its beautiful head. And we see the message of Christ beginning to come and to give us hope and to give us meaning. It's not until there that it all begins to make sense. Even though Paul is not going to go into and give us all of the answers of this good news, Paul is saying, I've been telling you the bad news. Because you can't understand and receive the good news until you know how bad it is. You don't know you need a savior until you're cast out of the boat, drowning. Drowning. It's not until that point that you realize that you need someone to save you. That you're able to call out and say, save me, save me. I'm in deep need of help. And that's basically what Paul has been doing these past two weeks. He's been saying, look out and look at yourselves, people of the world. You are in need of help. And before he goes in to to telling you how you get that lifeline, how you can have that grace, how you can have that that hope and you can have that relationship with God restored, he's going to continue to pour it on. So that's what we're going to get to next week. But I want us to see, as Paul is giving his case against humanity, we realize back from chapter 1 that the purpose of this book is to explain and to tell the world the gospel. So he presents the bad news before the good news comes. So the bad news is all men are accountable to God. And apart from the intervention of God, we are incapable of saving ourselves. And then he goes on to say that Christ is the one that will sit as the judge. Why is Christ able to be the one to sit as the judge? Because he went through life that we live without sin. At no point in his life did he ever mess up or distort the design that God had laid out for humanity. Every moment he was worshiping God. Every moment he was living in fellowship with his creator. Well, not his creator because he was the creator. But he was living in fellowship with himself. He lived in complete and absolute obedience to the word of God. And so he went through the judgment of God and was found without fault. And then he goes to a cross. The man that was found without fault goes to a cross. And the sin of the world, your sin and my sin, was laid on him. And he bore the wrath of God, taking our penalty. Now, that's not what the passage here is really talking about fully. But that's where we're going. And we see him stepping up saying, that's why he's able to judge. Christ will sit on the throne and he will judge. So today as we end, I want to help us. I pray today that you've been able to look at your own life and see yourself through the eyes of reality. You and I still need a savior. We are accountable. And I pray that that accountability weighs on us and it moves us to repentance. But then I also pray that it moves us to have compassion on others so that we don't judge. So as we look at our world that is around us, as we look at our government who's taking this position and moving in this direction, and we see other people that are trying to push back against that and doing it in a way that we don't agree with through speaking words of condemnation and words of hate, where we can sit back and we can say, God is not in either of those. But it leads us not to to stand there with a sign of protest, but it leads us to intermingle with people in both of those groups and share the love of Christ. To tell them that Jesus saves, that Jesus forgives, that God loves, and Jesus has provided a way that we can be restored to this holy and righteous God. I pray that's what it moves us to not so that we further segregate ourselves from this world that he's placed us in, but he has placed us here so that we may be his messengers of hope and truth. So this morning as we end our time, we're going to end our time in song, singing to the Lord. This, the, the reality of this song helps us, is, is actually driven from this passage. There's a line in it that says, it's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. What is it that we must repent of today in our lives? Who is it in your life that you tend to judge? Who is it easiest for you to judge? And what excuse do you have or do you give for justifying your judgment? Or maybe you're here today and you just need to spend some time going before the Lord and confessing your contempt of God for His patience. Maybe you're here today and you look at all the evil in the world and you're like, God, why don't you just come in and just be the judge and rid us of all of this pain and all of this sorrow. And you show contempt and you almost in some ways shake your fist at God for not interceding and not interacting. Repent of that. For it's the grace of God and His withholding of His wrath that we're able to live now even ourselves. What areas of your life do you know God's will? But aren't currently practicing? What part of your private life, your spiritual life, your heart would would others, if they could see in, would see as consistent or inconsistent? Are there two parts of your life? Is there the public life that you live, and is there the private life that you live that don't jive together? Or maybe you're here today and you, for the first time, have have the weight of your sin has just rested on you and you need to hear the message that comes later. You're here today and you're like, I'm a sinful person. I realized that for the first time. Please tell me what I need to do in order to be saved. If that's you, please, please do not leave this place today without taking me by the hand and saying, Jeff, I need to know Jesus. In these moments, as we have an opportunity just to respond, I pray that you would respond to the way the Spirit is leading you. I'm going to pray and then we'll have time to sing. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for loving us. And Father, we thank you for your word. For Father, your word gives us insight into who you are. It allows us to know that you're not a God that's afar off, but that you are a God that is very near. You're a God that cares so deeply for us. And you're a God that has gone out of his way to meet us in our sin and to provide a provision through your son so father today in these next few moments help us to respond to your word father if there's confession that needs to be made may we confess if there's repentance that needs to be made may we repent and if, father if there's salvation that we need may we be prompted to move to reach out to our hands to you to say save me But God, whatever our response is, allow us to be obedient in these next few moments. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.